Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank. All right, well, thank you for joining us. You know, on our first episode of American Potential, we had Americans for Prosperity Iowa State Director Drew Klein, and he came on to talk about an Iowa barber who ran into a barrier, a government-imposed barrier, based on a definition. William Burt wanted to open a mobile barbershop called Cut Kings and to help serve the underserved in his community. Folks who couldn't travel to a traditional barbershop. And during this business planning process, he hit a barrier. He found out that due to a definition of a barber shop, he couldn't open a mobile barber shop. As Iowa law required barber shops to be an actual building, brick and mortar. Now, I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. But let's back up and tell you a little bit more of William's story. William had two kids at a young age. And he provided for them by dealing drugs, which led him to being in and out of prison. Now, William's turning point came during a visit from his son. When his son said to him, Dad, if family is your number one priority, then you'd be here with us and you wouldn't be in prison. Well, William started to think, of ways to stay out of prison. So he started to cut hair. What he discovered was he liked cutting hair because he saw how it lifted a person's spirit and it made a connection between him, some of the inmates as well. When he was released from prison in 2008, he went on to graduate from barber school. And William then saw a need in his community And he wanted to be able to go and serve those who couldn't travel to a traditional brick-and-mortar barbershop. And during the business planning process, he learned that a mobile barbershop was prohibited by state law. And he thought this was the end of his dream. Americans for Prosperity Iowa found out about William's story. They reached out to see if they could work together. And after two and a half years of working with lawmakers, the definition of a barbershop was finally changed. William was able to serve his community with his mobile barbershop. And there's one more part of William's story that involves a phone call, but I'm going to let William talk more about that call. William now sits on the Iowa Board of Barbering. He operates a nonprofit. And he's still cutting hair, and he's still connecting with people. On today's podcast, we have William Burt to tell this incredibly inspiring story and get an update on how Cut Kings is doing. William, thank you so much for being here with us. I appreciate you joining me. Thank you for having me. Uh, It's been a pleasure so far. Yeah. So, so first of all, I mean, this is such an amazing story. If Anyone listens to this podcast, our very first episode, 
was Drew Klein, the Iowa State Director for Americans for Prosperity, talking about your story. Yes, so I'm, I'm so excited to have you here and have you tell your story. Yes. Um, first of all, I, let's go back a little bit because you, I heard you talking earlier today and you said something that I thought was kind of incredible. Like everybody listens to this story. They find it fascinating, but you lived, this is your life. Mm-hmm. You lived this. So it took you a while to understand the significance of your story and how it may relate to other people, right? Yes. Yes. Um, what I said was like talking to other people about my story, it has an impact beyond what, what I could originally see. So it, it took a minute or it took a while for my story to grow on me and for me to see right. how much of an impact that I make on others. And like, I, like you said, I just, I live this lifestyle. Like I, Every day I wake up, I do the same, go through the same motions, same routine. So it didn't, you know, it didn't resonate right away how much of an impact it makes throughout, you know, the country, not just Iowa, but, you know, I'm here in Washington, D.C. to right. tell my story. So Right, right. And by the way, I they sandwich me. I have a terrible, terrible job on this podcast. They sandwich me with my puny voice in between you know, the the guy that announces at the Super Bowl and the velvety tones of William Burt on this episode. So, I mean, maybe they should just give the job to you, William. Do you cut hair and do podcasts? I would love to, but I think you got the perfect voice. You sound, <laughs> you sound pretty good. All right. Thank you. So let's talk about maybe your early life. Yes, you sir. made some, some bad decisions, some tough choices in life. Yes. Uh, led to kind of the, the, the tough streets and then... Then to prison. Yeah. Um, I grew up, well, we're, my mom moved my family or our family from uh, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So I was born in Kosciuszko, Mississippi, grew up in Salas with my grandfather. Um, 1992, my mom decided we were relocating, you know, better opportunities in, in Waterloo, Iowa, she said. So we ended up in Waterloo. And within months, I just, I the neighborhood I moved into, um, Activities that were going on in the neighborhood, the kids were around my age, and for some reason I was inspired by the negativity that was on the block, and I ended up out there. You know, like, that was a goal eventually to get out there. I seen the guys, you know, making money on a daily basis, and Mm -hmm. that became a goal of mine to get out there. Why? I I couldn't tell you, but, yeah, it, it led me down a dark, windy road where I was in and out of the juvenile facilities as a as a young adult and it transgressed into me going to prison uh four times was there as you think back on that um did you just go astray I mean it seems like there's always you're as I talk to you there's a kindness to you there's Mm -hmm. a goodness to you was that always inside of you what during that time that rougher patch in your life was there always that goodness in there or did you have to rediscover that no i think I, i'm still the same person i was yeah. the same kid i was i i grew into and i evolved into the same adult i mean just now i would say i see through clear eyes i understand life a little bit better you know and i try to do more good than than uh you know my past times, like I was always a good of good character. Mm-hmm. I'll say it that way. Right. I, I was never the bad guy. I wasn't the guy that was going to break in your house and steal your things. Where'd you like Where'd that. you get that from? Your mom? Yes, my mom. 
Your mom? Yeah. How about, I mean, are you a person of faith? I am. I'm yeah. a Christian. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So those, those things kind of anchored you, I, I suppose, through they were, they the tougher were, times? They were instilled. Like my mom instilled, you know, going to church and, and just being of moral character, you know, values. Mm-hmm. All of that was instilled early on as, as a kid. And I think I kind of just pushed it to, a, to the side during that duration of my life. And through visits and, and letters, my mom would always remind me of who she raised me to be. Mm-hmm. And up until recent years, she I would constantly hear, like, I don't know, you know, what you're trying to be or who you're trying to be, but I, I wish you'd just be the kid that I raised you. Mm-hmm. I'll bet you that's a proud mom now, today, huh? I would say so. Yeah. Much, <laughs> more, much more so now than, than then yeah. or than ever, but yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's... That's great. And, you know, a mother's, a mother's love gets you through, gets through an awful lot, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. So as, as you're going through this, uh, you're in prison. And to talk about the connection that you found uh, in barbering. The thing I like about barbering is it showed me that it was bigger than just cutting hair. Like, it allowed me to interact with, like you said, the inmates that, I would never have talked to like mm-hmm. just being having a chair open for them to sit in and get a get a haircut in prison. I watched it do wonders mm-hmm. for for people. You know, they you may have a visit coming the following day, and you're gonna I'm freshening these guys up for visits for photos, mm-hmm. and during that that haircut or that opportune time with them, I was able to build connections, hear their stories, tell my stories, and gain a little knowledge that I could potentially or that I did potentially use over the years to, to build me into the person that mm-hmm. I am now. What did you talk? What do you, I mean, you got to understand, I've never been to prison. So what do you talk to about it, uh, about with an inmate that when all, you're cutting their hair? That all depends on who you're talking to. Some, <laughs> some, some of the guys still would have that negative mind state and, and kind of take you back into criminality. But a lot of the guys would also have good wholesome conversations mm-hmm. like church services. I was a I was a regular attendee of mm-hmm. church while in prison just trying to dig deep and find find myself, find my way into, you know, being a better person, being who I am today. Mm-hmm. Like I I look forward, I wake up looking forward to making progression these days. Yeah. Like, and and you could t- did you use it as an opportunity as you're talking to someone that you know, if, if they, if you saw that they were positive, did you use this as a way to kind of maybe can one connect with them and maybe help them? Yes, for sure. I, I tended to drift towards those guys that had yeah. more of the positive mindset because right. my goal was to get home as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Like I never was a guy that wants to go and cause more trouble for myself. I didn't, you know, I didn't pick fights. I didn't get many write-ups. In fact, I may have gone the entire time with one write-up, you know, like mm-hmm. out of all the times I, I went in, I went four times and I probably had one write-up out of the four trips in there. So I was, again, always of more character. Mm-hmm. I just, I had a separate lifestyle that I would live after getting out, you know, like drug dealing and yeah, just running the streets and doing, doing things that I shouldn't have been doing. Yeah. In total, how long were you in prison? Uh, my longest stay, my longest stay was three years, 35 months. And then I did a second stay two years. And in between those 
too big stage, my probation was violated, and Iowa has this, or did, did then, had a, a program called the Violators Program. Mm-hmm. And the first time I violated and they sent me to that program, it was for 60 days. And then the next time, the second time, it was for six months. But you, it, it was supposed to be like a deterrence, mm-hmm. a place that you could go do some criminal thinking type of um, treatment programs. You mm-hmm. know, it, had, it offered different treatment programs where, that allowed me or, you know, that allowed me to think about the behavior that brought me back. And it was, again, supposed to be a deterrence. And it finally, it unless you want to be something different or be a better person or change your ways, then it's not going to happen. I, I, I came across those roads when, like you said, in the introduction, during a visit with my family and my son, you know, we was just having a general conversation and my mom was talking about my priorities and what my number, you know, how had I rearranged him? And, and I told her, well, my, you know, my number one priority is my family. Right. And, and my son kind of interjected like that. Basically, that's not right. true. Because if, like you said, if, it, if, you, if we were your number one priority, then you would be home with us and not sitting. How old was your son when he said that? Twelve. And that was like the profound moment. Pretty much. It, he, he put something on my heart that, that still tugs at it today because yeah. he's 27 today and I, again, have a 12-year-old that I have custody of. And I'm like constantly molding his, his mindset on a daily basis because yeah. like my oldest son, he has that same potential. My oldest son, is he's my role model, like my inspiration. Mm-hmm. And my youngest son has the same potential. So I, I constantly, I'm always shaping, you know, n- not so much trying to take away his character or, or his personality, yeah. but giving him different avenues and, and roadmaps that he can follow. Because I tell him every day, I wish I was as lucky as you. Like, you literally have a, a, a personal tour guide through life. Like, anything <laughs> you think you've been through, I've done. Yeah. And anything that you can see yourself going through, I've done, and probably stuff that you don't. You know, you the world is vast out there, and you at twelve years old, you really don't know sure. what you're getting yourself into. So just just having those conversations with him, right? You know? So so that shaped you. I mean, you're a better father today because of what you went through. Going probably for going to prison, mm-hmm. spending that time away for your older son saying that to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that shaped you into a better person, probably a better Christian, right? Yes. And, and a better father. Yeah. It, it, again, today it makes me think like all the time I think about like what, what kind of, what was he feeling? What, you know, like he, he literally had the audacity to stop my words mm-hmm. and, and say those, <laughs> what he said to me. So it's like, what, what kind of, what mindset was he in as a 12-year-old? Yeah. And how far ahead of himself he was then. Yeah. You know, and I think about the the young man he's grown into today. Like, he's so far ahead of the average 27-year-old that I know, you know, just general 27-year-old that I know that he, he's, like, light years ahead of him. And I'm I'm not trying to brag. I'm not trying to <laughs> put him out there like that because he'll hear it and be like, Dad, why did you say that? But it's seriously, at 27, he's he been at his job for probably seven years, and he 
owns his own house. And it's, it's just so much he's done in those short years that I still haven't yeah. accomplished. Yeah. Well, he, I, st- he still has the courage that he had when he was a exactly. young boy to tell you exactly that, Dad, you better straighten up, he, right? All the time. <laughs> he often tells me, like, I, if I'm having an issue, like, I, you know, I like to think out or think through what I'm going to say because I can be very comfort- confrontational. Um, so I, I often call him and say, hey, I'm having this problem and I want to confront this person or I, I want to address it. How does this sound? Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, you can't say it. <laughs> so he often he often helps and he's still shaping. And, and Yeah, that's awesome. What a great relationship to right. have right. and uh, a shaped shaped out of the fire of what you went through, really. Right. So, okay. So, so that moment really changed your, your frame of mind, right? Mm -hmm. About, man, I do have to make this my priority and I'm going to do everything I can to stay out of prison. And so this connection that you had with, with folks as you were, as you were becoming a barber and you were cutting hair, um, led you, that and the conversation led you to, to once you got out, say, I'm not going back, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't that easy. Yeah. I would like to say that conversation kept me out, but for probably a year or two, maybe two years, I still struggled with the person I wanted to become and the person that I was. What, what's the struggle? Describe that to me. What, what's the Just struggle? Just going back to the streets, going back to drug dealing. Um, what, and what was the allure of that? Was it the money? The money. Being lazy, not really wanting to work. Like I've held down my my barbering, been in barbering for yeah. twelve years. So for twelve years I've worked, and prior to that, my I bet you my longest job I held was seven months. Hmm. Not not even a year at one yeah. job. So just I don't know the lazy the la- the lazy thought process of I'm gonna get the easy money. I'm gonna do what's what's easy. I'm gonna have all of this money without really having to work for it mm-hmm. was my thought process. So did you ever, like, was there just a moment where you finally, it kind of dawned on you, or was it a process that, you you know, I'm just not going to do that because I risk losing all the things that I love? Was it a moment, or was it a process to get to that? It was definitely a moment. I, I, in 2012, I was arrested again for drug dealing. Mm -hmm. And... Just as you said, I seen my whole life flash in front. And this of me. was after your son had that conversation with you, or before? Yeah, he had the conversation. We had this conversation yeah. in in two thousand and seven. I okay. was released a few months later, two thousand and eight. Um, yeah, so twelve again. I came home. I, I I struggled with doing what was right and and having one foot on the line, kind of mm-hmm. like straddling the fence is what right. I was trying to do, but. 2012 that that wall came crashing down on me again and at that point it it literally scared me because I could be still sitting in prison today mm-hmm. and God chose not to to put me there so I was blessed to be able to for one have enough money to hire a legal team um even though it was it was drug dealing money I was able to hire a legal team that that kept me out and I basically had to reiterate that promise to my son. I had to had we had to have that conversation again. You know, my mom, I let it, I let everybody down. Right. So since 2012, I've been literally walking the walk and talking the talk. Yeah, 
It's an incredible story. And, you know, we haven't even gotten to the to the meat of this story, but I thought it was important to go through you that got, background. You got, I'm about to say, you got to have a background. Yeah. You got to have a background. So I don't mind. There's no secrets. <laughs> no secrets in the sauce. Well, and listen, it's good that there's no secrets because this is for a lot of people. I mean, there's, it, this is a life that many people have lived and maybe right in the middle of living that same life. Correct. And this maybe speaks to them. Right. So, okay. So uh, you, you get out and and you're a barber, mm-hmm. and you're working, right? And right. you come up with this idea. I, I'm intrigued by going through all of that. You never lost your sort of entrepreneurial spirit somehow. You you decided, that hey, I'm going to come up with this good idea, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So what would you come up with? Well, I always, even as a drug dealer, I always viewed myself as an entrepreneur because okay. I felt like at that point I was still running a company. It just uh-huh. happened to be an illegal company. Right. But- 2012, I graduated from from barber school. I started um, at a local barber shop in Waterloo, Gray's Barber Shop, and I want to shout out um, Mr. Gray for even giving me the opportunity. Yeah, but I walked in on day one, and it was a middle chair open between two coworkers. Um, one had been there 16 years. The other one had like six, seven years in, and here I was with zero days so I had to figure out or find ways to build clientele in the midst of these guys who had decades yeah. plus in you know sure. so um, I at the time I was going to UNI uh, which is the University of Northern Iowa in Cedar Falls Iowa where I was studying leisure youth and human services for a bachelor's degree mm-hmm. and I started right away, day one, you know, creating promotional materials, cards, flyers, hanging them on the wall, mm-hmm. handing out cards, you know, just introducing myself to people. Right. Because I would regularly sit uh, days on end and maybe cut two, three people's hair um, and watch these guys do all the work. So, so, so as you're telling me this, though, it would seem to me it would have been easier— to deal drugs. I mean, uh, wasn't this a lot harder to break into this business? It was It was much easier to deal drugs, but I had reached that crossing point to where yeah. I could no longer risk my freedom. Like, to me, right now, today, I'd rather struggle and be broke, so to speak, than to go out and risk my freedom and, and yeah. make thousands of dollars in, in a matter of minutes. So you, so you struggled through finding this legal way to do it and and the motivator was your freedom and being with your family well at the by the time i decided to go to go to barber college it was it was like a natural for me so mm-hmm. i'd cut hair in on two separate occasions in prisons for a total of probably 4 years so at that po- at the point that i decided to go to barber college i was pretty good at what i what i could do so that part wasn't a struggle the struggle was getting it getting a mindset that anything easy doesn't last long. Mm-hmm. And it proved to me um, time after time after time, like I would sell drugs for a year or two, get in trouble and be gone for a year or two. So that revolving door, it just played out with me. Mm-hmm. So the struggle was just getting past that mindset. 
and being able to go to barber college, complete barber college, obtain a a, a barber uh, not a barber's degree, obtain a um, bachelor's degree, and then go on for my master's degree. So mm-hmm. just just being able to get myself into a, a new mind state to you know to progress instead of going back through the right. same cycles again. Right. Okay. So how'd you come up with the idea of the mobile barbershop? Just thinking and I had to separate myself. Like I, I wasn't busy enough in my mind. And then just sit the, the, the idea of being just a traditional barber at the time wasn't sitting well with me. I wanted to find out other, I wanted to figure out other ways to innovate what we currently do as barbers on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So I did a little research and seen that other states had this, you know, this model of mobile barbering going on, and I tried to mimic it in the state of Iowa. Actually, I did. I didn't try. Yeah. But along that journey is where I discovered that it, it wasn't legal to, to be a mobile barber. Yeah, you, I heard you say it's the first time you'd ever found a legal way to do it, and then the government told you that's not going to work. Yes, the, <laughs> the first real, the first real and legal idea I ever had. <laughs> they shut me down right away. They shut you down right away. That's a government barrier, right? Government imposed barrier when they do that. Um, I, 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 I want to jump or move forward on that, but I have to go back. You talked about being an innovator, and I think people who haven't been to prison don't necessarily view people in prison as people who are innovators, free, free enterprise, free market thinkers. Mm -hmm. Are they, or were you unusual in that? No. Um, I met some of the most talented individuals inside the prison walls and I've ever met. Like you wouldn't believe how many doctors or lawyers or artists and the list goes on of people that you will meet inside those walls. Mm -hmm. Like, Guys can sit and look at you and draw an identical portrait or take a picture that you have in your photo album and do an identical, you know, uh, picture to send home to your family members. Mm-hmm. So it's like some of the most talented guys I, I've literally ever met in my life are inside those walls. Yeah, and I think that's fascinating to people who've never been inside the walls of a prison. I think that's a fascinating is I always look at things and I think, man, wouldn't it just be easier to be like, may earn an honest living mm-hmm. and not risk going to prison? And the answer is yes. <laughs> but, but I mean, it's just, it's a foreign thing, I think, to a lot of people to see that as a concept. Again, once you're in that mind state, right. it's definitely uh, easier. But depending on your upbringing, like a lot of these, a lot of guys that are in prison, come up in, in communities and areas where they're poor, you know, opportunities aren't really there or, you know, just it's, it's, it's several different reasons why a person could be in prison. And I'm mm-hmm. not trying to make an excuse, but there are many, many barriers and avenues that lead you to prison. Yeah. And everybody makes choices. Right. Right. In life. And exactly. some make good choices. Some make bad choices. Everybody makes bad choices at some point. But yes. Um, okay, so you you got this idea for the mobile barber shop, and then the government tells you can't do it. Mm-hmm. You get a letter basically saying you can't do it, or how, how did that come about? I was working with a young lady um, at the small business office, 
for the University of Northern mm-hmm. Iowa. And once telling her my idea, she was like, well, we have to put it on paper. If you're trying to get any kind of bank assistance or any kind of funding or grants for it, people are going to want to see mm-hmm. your idea on paper in the form of, of a business plan. And we started to work towards, you know, getting a business plan together and somehow some some way, I don't know if she did her personal research on it to see. She said she thought it was interesting that no one had done this before. Mm-hmm. And she kept asking me, well, why are you the first one to do it? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I just <laughs> Maybe I'm, you know, the guy that thought of it. And I <laughs> I'm wanna, just that smart. Yeah, I want to bring, <laughs> bring it to fruition. But um, through an email, she was like, hey, I figured out why no one has done this before. She was like, if, you know, you should probably, in so many words, stop what you're doing. You're wasting your money um, because it's illegal. You're mm-hmm. not going to be able to. To use this thing. And I was already, even with the business, the business plan was like an afterthought. Because mm-hmm. I'd already purchased the vehicle. Right. I'd already started the build right. out. And I began working with this young lady so that if need be, once, you know, it was done, built, being built, I needed funding or anything for mm-hmm. it. I would have this paperwork that I could submit and say, hey, this is what I have. You know, here it is on paper just try to make life easier later on for me is what she suggested. Mm-hmm. But my mind was made up. Like I had the money at the time to, again, to purchase a vehicle and complete the build out 100%. And midways through is when, you know, I got the email saying, you know, shut the operation down. It's illegal. This is where most people stop. Right. When they're told, well, you just can't do that. That's where they stop. And that and th- this is really what this show is all about. People who don't stop and who say, well, you know, that's just not right. That's a barrier that the what is the purpose of the barrier? Right. What do you what are you imposing this upon me and stopping me from making a living or doing what I want to do? And most people just stop there. What is it? What was it inside of you that made you say, I'm not going to not going to just accept that it's illegal? For one, I. I as I was telling the uh, the onboarding crew this morning, I had never considered myself a quitter. Right. If I make plans or if I, if I see something that I want, I'm usually going to go after it, and I'm going to go after it until I get it. Mm-hmm. But second thought is what you said earlier. It's the first legal idea that I've had, <laughs> and you're going to tell me that I can't do it? So what— in my mindset, what are you trying to do? Like, right. I'm already a barber. I'm licensed through the state of Iowa. The only difference is my barbershop will now move from location to location versus me being on the same corner mm-hmm. for day after day. Yeah. Yeah. So you just, in your mind, I'm not going to take no for an answer. I wasn't taking no for an answer. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. So then you get hooked up. Well, you tell your story. There's a, there, was it a news story that was done about you, or how did the video come about? The video was, was my idea. Well, I, you know, just talking with other people in the barbershop about yeah. what I was trying to do and why I couldn't do it. A couple clients or friends um, suggested first we start with a petition. Mm-hmm. So I drew up 
this uh, I think it was on change.org or something mm-hmm. like that. Okay. I drew, we we <laughs> drew up a, a petition and within no time had over a thousand signatures saying, you know, we support this mission. Right. And that led me to talking to another friend who did local uh, videos or video, she's a videographer and she helped me put together like a uh, 59 seconds. It had to be long enough so we could put it on Instagram, mm-hmm. Facebook, or short enough, I should say. But it was about 59, 60 seconds max that kind of told the story from start to finish, from my, you know, from my mind to actually being a project, you know, like being a project, mm-hmm. how, it, how it came about. And that video got over 40,000 views in less than a month. Mm-hmm. And that's where Americans for Prosperity come in. You know, I received a phone call from Tyler Rager, yeah, who's become more than a business um, partner or prospect. He's a friend, good friend at that. Like, right. you know, we we talk all the time. But he, um, his phone call out the blue was just like, "Hey, my name is Tyler Rager. I work for Americans for Prosperity and." I came across your story. You know, it was before um, the guys from D.C. did the the 12-minute documentary. Right. So this couple years before. But the small 59 seconds got the attention of, of Americans for Prosperity. And, and from that day forward, it's, it's, it was a journey. Mm-hmm. It was a journey, but it was one that I would say I enjoy. I didn't. I, I really was... When it comes to knowledge, I was young. Like I, I didn't understand anything that I was about to go through. I'm, I've never been a political person, and just to be able to have someone to mold my my mindset and and walk me by the hand, you know, hand in hand per se, right through the entire journey was a blessing. Yeah, it's a different world, right? I mean, exactly. had you ever even been to the Iowa Capitol before? Never. Never, never. Did you, and you probably never dreamed that you would go never. and be a part of that process. Never. Yeah. So how were you received at first? It was like the doors was being closed in my face. Like a mobile barbershop. It's like people didn't understand the concept. Sure. Of it. Like why? Why do we need a mobile barbershop? Is how I felt. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, one line in the in the barbering law outlawed the entire concept of a mobile barbershop. And I think that line said something like, a barbershop is a brick and mortar, you know, and not one on wheels. That, right. that wasn't in there, but the brick and mortar right. kind of, you know, it, it took the, the, the concept of a barbershop being one on wheels. Mm-hmm. It took it out the equation. Yeah. And you were doing this, you started out doing it, for you, but at what point did you realize, hey, this is also holding other people back too? I mean, was that ever, or were you just kind of charging ahead to, to go after your idea? The, the entire concept was for clients that were coming into the barbershop. You know, some, right. some clients, family members pushed them in in wheelchairs. And then around this time, we were getting phone calls to the, to the shop phone just asking, hey, you know, something like my father just had a stroke and they're right now like you know bedridden or wheelchair bound and we're not able to get them in and out 
you know, cars in, in the house right now. So is there anyone that would be willing to come out, you know, and do the haircut here at home and we'll compensate you? And Like just the amount of calls and me taking those kind of, you know, jobs because my other coworkers, they had time in and they had built up clientele on top of clientele. So they really didn't need to take jobs outside of the barbershop. But me being the new guy, I was trying to build as much clientele and network as much mm-hmm. as I could. So taking those jobs, I, I realized that I was losing more equipment, you know, like leaving behind capes or uh, combs or, you know, clipper attachments. Just every other place I went, I was leaving stuff behind. So it, it got to a point to where, all right, at this rate, I'm going to not have equipment. <laughs> so let me put my brain you know, to thought, and that's where it, it really, it was born. It's like, I can take the experience to these guys. You right. Know, like, create a novelty on wheels, so to speak, to where they're not just getting their haircuts in their bedrooms or in the kitchen. We can wheel them out, you know, and into an actual barbershop setting. Right, right. And so you you worked with Americans for Prosperity and, and the team in Iowa, and you kind of crafted a plan to get this through the legislature, this piece of legislation that would change the law. Very small change, but very significant change. Mm-hmm. And tell, tell us, like, how long did that take? From start to finish, it was about two and a half years. And wow. Again, I was just, like, following the lead. Like, I, I had no idea. I, I wanted to be confrontational because, like I said, over the years I've been known to be a person – with logic, but I, I, I got to get down to the finite details. I got to, mm-hmm. I want to know why. So, right. and the way I had planned on going about it was you're going to have to come out and cite me, ticket me to a point to where we end up in court and someone has to tell me why this is not legal. <laughs> like, I'm not just accepting I can't use an investment, uh, you know, a project that I've invested in. Yeah. And, talking to Tyler about it, you know, a couple months in and me still having this same like mentality, like I can't let these guys keep making, you know, they, mm-hmm. they're making me sit around and he, and Tyler just really broke it down to like the last compound is like, listen, you know, it may hurt or it may not feel right that you can't use it at the moment, but these same guys that you're looking to tee off right now, we're going to need them down the road. So let's just do what it takes. You know, we didn't know that it would take two and a half years. We was hoping it would go through in the first session, and, and, it, and it didn't just because we had, you know, some kickback. Legislators didn't want to hear it. Some didn't want to deal with it. And it, it just was a process of winning people over. Yeah. And, I, and I had to learn that. I had to learn that. But today I feel like, it made me a better person. I'm more of a problem solver today than mm-hmm. I, I've ever been. William, men and women are free today uh, in America because of people like you mm-hmm. who didn't just say, oh, okay, I'll just go lay down and take it, right? I mean, people who challenge the system and, you know, is this really right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there are other people who maybe want to do what you're doing and they're not free to do that in Iowa unless this law passes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, first of all, thank you for, 
for, for being one of those people that stand up uh, because the freedom and liberty that other people have is because people like you sacrificed and, and, and stayed the course and fought the fight. Mm, thank so, you for the compliment. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So you get all this done, the bill and, and actually the governor kind of got on board, mm-hmm. governor Kim Reynolds got on board um, and invited you to, was it the state of the state address kind of thing or 2020 condition of the state? Okay. Condition of the state address mm-hmm. introduced you. Mm-hmm. you, you were up in the gallery I guess, or way out of my, (laughs) out of my comfort zone, but definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big moment for me. Like her doing that, like she literally changed the trajectory of the entire, Mm -hmm. you know, goal to get it, to get it legalized. Like up until that point, we were meeting all opposition. Mm -hmm. And the one statement that she said, which I think is a good idea, by the way, like overnight, my phone ringing off the hook. Tyler's calling me like, hey, this this legislator, legislator just called. This person just called, and I think now we're getting some traction. So overnight, literally, with Governor Kim Reynolds making that one statement, changed the trajectory of everything. And I, again, thank you, Governor. Yeah. But, well, and that's, I mean, that's the power of someone, uh, of an elected official who can be a champion mm-hmm. and who sees – uh, who is there, I think, to help people uh, overcome barriers and things like that. And, and certainly she, she did that, and, mm-hmm. and that's great. Um, so, so the bill passes. She signs it into law. You were there when she signed it into law? Yeah, front row and center. Front row and center. <laughs> did you get a pen? I did. She, she gave you a pen. I got a pen and the original document, I want to say. Really? Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. For a guy that, was headed down the wrong road, was in and out of prison to getting a law signed that was your idea, a pen that was used to sign that bill into law from the governor and the actual original document. So the crazy thing about this whole <laughs> law signing thing, if you watch the video, there's like 50 <laughs> pens landing. And she had to literally... Use one pen after another pen. Yeah. So we went through all the all of the pens that that were laying there yes. to sign that document. I thought that was it was crazy, <laughs> but unique, unique. So I got one of however many uh, pens. One of it fifty was. pens. Yeah. 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 Well, we'll just say it was the one. It was the most it, important it, one. Wasn't it was it? the one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So so that happened, and this is the the this is the icing on the cake, and I know it's the part that you. Um, you seem to get more emotional about than, than the others, but was it Drew who somebody came to you and said, Hey, you've done all of this stuff. Can can you, can you even vote William? Who came and asked you that? Drew. 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 And, and at the time, I honestly, again, I've never been into politics. Yeah. Getting my voting rights back was not a thing to me. It, I didn't care at all. But in Iowa, if you're a felon, you can't vote. You can't vote until that was like the at that once she gave them back to me is like the floodgates open for the rest of the felons. So mm-hmm. now it's a thing. You got to fill out a short form as a felon to get the rights back. But now it's a thing that you can't. So Drew asked asked you and you said no. 
I didn't say no. No, oh, you he, didn't say no. Nope. No. He suggested he's like, you've gone through all of this. If anyone deserves to have their rights yeah. back, it's you. So why don't you fill out the paperwork? And they got the paperwork out. We was at the Capitol building that day. Mm-hmm. So he, he went in and got the paperwork out of the governor's office somewhere, disappeared, came back with the paper. And I filled it out. It literally probably took me three or four minutes. Mm-hmm. And a couple of weeks later, I get this phone call. And now, wait, I have to interject here because Drew tells it like this. The phone's ringing. And was Drew there with you when the phone was ringing? Yeah, we was filming the documentary. Right. And they, they set it up for this to happen. And they had a camera on the governor, too. Yep. Making the call. And they had a camera on you. Yep. And the phone's ringing. And you wouldn't answer the phone. Oblivious to me. It was a, it was a number that I did not. And, you know, it wasn't saved. And we're in the middle of. I mean, of, you're kind of a big shot. Now you got this law pass. Who's who you're going to answer? I, I don't I mean, know who, who it is. is. Yeah, I don't know who it is. Not a, it's not a saved number. I'm in the middle of a filming session. So at that time, it wasn't important to me. Sure. And Drew is like, William, answer the phone. <laughs> I'm like, for what? Uh, I don't know who's calling. He's like, answer the phone. <laughs> So I answered the phone, and that's why I was surprised like that, because she said it's Governor Kim Reynolds. And I'm like, oh, Governor Kim <laughs> you Reynolds. Want, do you want your pen back? Right. right. No, this, I, have we signed the bill yet? I'm not for sure if we, oh, okay. we hadn't right. signed yet. <laughs> okay. I think this was in a couple months before the okay. bill signing. But gotcha. Yeah, so I wasn't looking to answer the phone again. Yeah. And like I told them, they, you guys could have warned me, because the whole emotions – the emotional deal in that scene erupted because I thought of myself as this, you know, like a guy that's been in prison four times and ex con, whatever, whatever tagline that they put on people like myself, mm-hmm. that's how I vision myself. And then to be receiving a phone call from the head of the state. Saying that's gone. That, wiped away. It blew my mind. Like this lady is calling me. You know, yeah. So yeah, that I still can't watch that the documentary without getting moved. <laughs> yeah, I, I most people can't, and I would encourage folks uh, if you if you just on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I mean, people can go to YouTube. You can go to YouTube and you can watch the video. In fact, we'll put a link in the podcast nice. up to that video. So if people want to watch the video, you want to see William um, and and hear who's behind his velvety tones of his voice. Hmm. You can you can do that. So that was a pretty cool moment. I mean, it was a cool moment for me to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people who watched the video s- saw it. You got, you got emotional, mm-hmm. right? In fact, you said, I can't believe you guys are recording me while I'm crying. Right. Tears. <laughs> I got a film crew standing here with tears in my eyes, like, <laughs> or recording me with tears yeah. in my eyes. Yeah, it was, it was, that was an emotional moment. Like, simply, not because I, she was giving me my rights back, it's the idea of me being a little guy, and I got the the head of the state. After all I've been through, she's excused that to say, "Hey, you're you're now a citizen of Iowa again." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's such a great story, and thank you to Governor Kim Reynolds for for yes. doing that and yes. and proudly doing it. I mean, yes. she 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 didn't have to be pushed very hard to do it, from what I understand. I think she took a liking to you. <laughs> it seems that way. I, I yeah. was able to to meet her and have a couple conversations, you know, several different occasions. So, yeah, I I would say definitely a good person. Yeah, yeah. So now, 
what, let's tell us what's happened since then. Like now you have a, a, a nonprofit, mm-hmm. you're doing great things. You got into this to help people in your community. It mm-hmm. wasn't really totally about you and, and finding a path and being an entrepreneur. It was really about helping your community when you started this whole trip, mm-hmm. right? And now you're doing that through your nonprofit. Yes. That's, I mean, barbering in itself, I seen as a way to network, you know, get to know others. As a barber, you know, we are like counselors. We can sometimes play the role of a doctor, head doctor. But, like, just that that whole perception of what barbering means, it keeps me going every day. Like, a lot of guys don't sit in my chair because I'm the best barber in town. You know, it's a relationship that we've built over the years. So that in itself keeps me true and honest to what I do on a daily basis. Yeah. So, but you, you give, you, you use this, uh, the mobile oh, barber yeah. service to, you go out and you cut kids' hairs, uh, kids' hair sometimes. Yeah, I would like to be busier than what I am. Um, like you said, I started the nonprofit, which I would, I, I, in mine, I, I put it together to kind of, to be able to reach out to the community for, you know, donations or grants and, to be able to accept those donations and grants and allow the the donors, excuse me, the donors mm-hmm. to write, you know, write it off. Uh, but in 2021, I opened up my own barbershop. So at, at during all of this time, I'm just, I was, my mindset was kind of to keep growing, just keep elevating to the next level. And that's where the, the nonprofit come from. You know, the idea of the nonprofit, it would allow me to, to stay true to my mission, like be to be able to give back to my community and maybe not to give out a completely uh, free haircut, but an inexpensive one, uh, one of lower cost. You know, I, I really can't see myself charging, you know, a veteran or someone who's sick and shut in the amount of dollars that it would take to operate a mobile barbershop because mm-hmm. you would have to imagine if, I'm driving this vehicle to your job or to your house or your organization, wherever it is that the job is, it's going to cost more money than coming to a barbershop because there's overhead, there's gas, there's, you know, all of this, these factors that, that goes into that one haircut. So I couldn't see myself charging, you know, these, the underserved population that I was looking to seek a full amount of what it actually takes. So the idea of creating the nonprofit so I could receive or ask for donations to help forward some of these missions. Um, yeah. So who, looking back on this and the road that you've traveled, who do you think's most proud of you? You think it's your mom, your son, or God? Of course I'm going to say God. Right. But, but just a half a step under that, I, I, I think my entire family is. Like, the video affects my grandson. I have a 10-year-old grandson, a granddaughter. And at the time, she was probably four, but she's played that video for everybody <laughs> she's come in contact. She's half the watches on YouTube, huh? She's half the <laughs> You know, and I got a, probably still got the text message in my phone, but my grandson sent me a text message less than a week ago saying, I just watched this video again, Papa, and it still made me cry. So it's like 
the the effect is rippling. You know, it, it goes on. Like my mom is definitely proud. My son, he's a hard guy. He ain't gonna tell me, but <laughs> I know he is as well. Just being sure. able to watch me make get a second chance with my twelve year old. Like, you know, my mom practically raised my older kids. You know, I played a role when I was there, but it's like every other year I'm in prison for a couple of years. So Yeah. Um I didn't I didn't really get the experience that I'm getting. No, I didn't get the experience with my older kids that I'm getting now with my 12 year old. Yeah. I've, I've literally had custody of him since he was like nine months old. Mm-hmm. So just being able to, I don't know, be that parent that's that's there for every step of the way, like that's priceless. Yeah, like that makes me prouder than anything. Yeah, yeah, and it should. It yeah. should. I mean. You know, what What a hero. I mean, you're a hero. I'm sorry. I hate to say that. You probably don't like the tag or whatever, but you are. I mean, I think, again, the point is we have freedom in America because of people who stand. I mean, obviously because of soldiers who fight for our freedom and our liberty and, you know, for, for lots of folks throughout history. But it also takes citizens who stand up with the courage to stand up and say, you know, this just isn't right. And, you know, to me, it doesn't matter who that is, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Rosa Parks on a bus Mm -hmm. or whether it's someone like you who's like, no, I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to take that as the answer. I'm not going to let government tell me no. I finally found something that's legal. (laughs) I'm trying to make a, make a living here and I'm just not going to accept it. Right. So. You're going to have to accept the tag of hero, whether he, you like it or not. Hero is a, that's a big title. That's, <laughs> that's a, big, a big title. That's a big title. I, I, I'm just a common guy, man. I just yeah. try to, again, live by a set of principles, morals, and values, and pass them on down to my children, my grandkids, you know, just, just share my visions, my thoughts. And they may not always be right, but I've been through enough. I've done enough wrong that. I can share the experience in hopes that it'll keep these guys on the right path. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing your, your story. Yes, sir. William is awesome. And now how many, I, I'm going to get a lot of downloads of this podcast just from your, your grandkids, right? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> they need, they need to hear it. They, they need the inspiration. They do. Well, listen, I really appreciate you taking the time to tell the story. I'm, this is one of the great stories that, that I've heard through our work at Americans for Prosperity. And so thanks for taking the time and for, for letting us partner with you. Thank you for having me out, giving me another opportunity to put my voice out so others can hear my story. And American Potential, that's a, that's a great title, by the way. Yeah, there's a lot of potential in our country. That's, that's a great title. That's right. All right. If nothing else, I have potential. That's right. We all do. Right. We all do. All right. Well, listen, if... Uh, if you'd like to get connected, and let's say you have a story just like, like William, and you want to get connected with an Americans for Prosperity chapter, send me an email at jeff at AmericanPotential.com. I'll get you hooked up with a chapter that can help you navigate whatever situation you're in with, the, with the, a barrier erected by government, uh, just like William experience. Uh, our podcast, I mean, we're always looking for those stories. So follow us on YouTube, Twitter, on Facebook, and 
go to our webpage. You can go there, AmericanPotential.com, if you have a story that you'd like to submit an idea. Thank you so much for listening. Such an inspiring story of William and, and the work that he did, not just for himself, but to change the situation for all of those in Iowa who may want to do the same thing and not have that barrier uh, that they had previously. Thanks for joining us on American Potential. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.